In a few weeks, my favorite farmer's market opens for the season. To me, there's nothing better on a summer Saturday morning than browsing the booths picking out fresh produce. My kids, of course, want to visit any booth with baked goods and ask for every item that catches their eye as we pass. But here's the thing about fresh food. It goes bad pretty quickly if you don't use it. So as excited as we all get to see our favorite items, we can't possibly buy them all. Or we'd go home with five different fruits, eight different vegetables, four jars of salsa, three dozen eggs, six dozen donuts, and a few giant cookies for good measure. The key is deciding what we're most likely to use. In other words, we need to pick the right things from the list. And that's what we're talking about today. Welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. On today's episode, Rich Daly is talking to Michael Wolford, a senior manager at DHG Healthcare, about early results of bundled payments for care improvement advanced, how the most successful organizations are picking the right bundles, and what providers should know going forward. Then, we have five reasons why health systems will need cost accounting in a segment sponsored by Strata. But first, Rich and Chad are going beyond the news. Hello, this is Rich Daly. Uh, welcome to Beyond the News Healthcare Finance segment. I'm a senior writer and an editor for HFMA. Hello, and my name is Chad Mulvaney. I am a policy director with HFMA. And Rich, it's good to be talking with you again this week. Certainly, it's a lot for us to go over. Right. And uh, of course, one of the top lines uh, of recent days was the release of the proposed rule for the hospital inpatient prospective payment system. This, of course, uh, rule comes out in the same context of the latest hospital insurance trust fund report, which found uh, the trustees finding, of course, that the trust fund will be fully solvent till 2026, the same year as last year. Why don't you give us just uh, some of your top lines from the proposed IPPS rule there, Chad? So what's interesting, Rich, and you bring up the trustees report, which came out on Monday, and then the IPPS proposed rule, which came out, I believe it was on Wednesday, shortly after you and I talked last week. And so, you know, top line, it's a three and a half percent overall projected increase in inpatient payments, which is historically, or it's better than what has been historically, given that we've sort of the fudge factor reduction in the market basket update that was in the ACA rolled out. And so certainly that's something that I think hospitals generally can cheer. But when you juxtapose it against the the trustees report, you have to no longer sort of the air quotes, good times will last because I think the trustees report said that in 2026, CMS will only be able to pay for 89% of part A claims out of tax dollars coming in. So it's kind of a Good news for now, but you have to see what comes down the road. There are also a couple of other interesting policy changes. It's one that made the news, one that didn't make the news in the IPPS proposed rule. So some of the deeper details going on there was some uh, controversial proposed changes to the uh, wage index. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the, the wage index was interesting. Obviously, the administration had hinted that it wanted to do something about the wage index to try to support rural PPS hospitals, which are obviously struggling. I mean, you look at the non-expansion states, those are the ones that are closing. And so what they've done is they've given a, a boost to the wage index for facilities that have wage index values below the 25th percentile. And basically what they're doing is they're giving a, a haircut to anybody who's above the 75th percentile, which is capped at 5% from the prior year in terms of the reduction. And then there's they're adding in a budget neutrality adjustment that'll hit everybody so that the whole thing is budget neutral. You know, it's interesting to see what it will be interesting to see what happens next. This is quite controversial. 
And uh, another financially significant change in the proposed rule is uh, impact on uncompensated care payments to Medicare disproportionate share hospitals. So what CMS has done is proposed to change the, the way that or the data used to calculate factor three in the Medicare uncompensated disproportionate share calculation. And so this is going to get a little bit wonky, but essentially what factor three does is it looks at each hospital's percentage of uncompensated care provided as a, as a part of the national total. And then if you're a dish eligible hospital, it spreads those payments based on that. Since 2017, CMS had been using three years worth of data out of concerns that, you know, particularly when we were using the, the Medicare DISH fraction components, the Medicaid days and the SSI days, that there was some instability in the SSI days that might cause a hospital's uncompensated care DISH payments to jump around and so it would make budgeting challenging. The theory now is that the data has gotten better or they want to move to one year's worth of data under the theory that the data has gotten better, that they've audited 2015, they're confident in the results and that they're correct. And what they've also suggested is that while 2015 is what they've put forward in terms of the data that they're going to use, they also have suggested they might use 2017 instead from where they've changed the instructions. The, the so what of all of this is that at least 2015, from what I'm hearing from Air members, is that in a lot of instances, the audit criteria that the MAX applied to the uncompensated care data, the Medicare or the non-Medicare bad debt and the charity care on the S10 has been applied inconsistently. So I've already heard an example from one provider in the Midwest who was audited by different MACs. They applied the criteria differently and basically for two very similar hospitals, he ended up with different audit results. And I think that's concerning. So, you know, I would want to see maybe CMS go back to three years at a minimum or go to the 17 data, which isn't, hasn't been audited. Certainly would love to hear from our members if they've had similar experiences, just so as we think about putting together a comment letter to CMS, we've got those stories in the letter. So CMS is aware of the issues that are out there. All right. Yeah. Well, a lot to think about there. And uh, thanks for the call to action there, Chad, and for all of the updates. Thank you, Rich. Always good to chat with you. For more on the latest news developments in healthcare finance policy and practice, please check out our news page at hfma.org forward slash news. The healthcare transformation is gaining velocity. From new startups and mergers to enormous cross-industry partnerships, change is coming. We invite you to be bold, to lead the change. Join us for the HFMA Annual Conference in Orlando this June. Get the tools you need to take action. Learn more at annual.hfma.org. This is Rich Daly, Senior Writer and Editor for HFMA, with a special guest today on the Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast, Michael Wolford, a Senior Manager at DHG Healthcare. We're going to discuss early results from BPCI Advanced, a program that has some coming developments that providers should know about. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast, Michael. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So the first thing I wanted to check with you about was to remind our listeners what BPCI Advanced is and where the program stands at this point. Yeah, BPCI Advanced uh, stands for Bundled Payments for Care Improvement Advanced. Uh, this is the, I'll call it the second generation of a payment model that Medicare started testing back in 2013. 
with what they called bundled payments for care improvement period. And that program sunset in September of 2018 and was replaced with this new advanced model. Uh, you'll hear me probably call it BIPSI advanced uh, today, just using the word version of the BPCI acronym. Today, um, it's been in place for about six months. And as of March, there were about 650 hospitals and almost 600 physician groups that were actively participating in this program. So it's got some size and scale. So uh, only six months in, but have you seen any early results uh, among provider organizations uh, that have participated so far? The answer is yes, but they're very early. The more time passes, the better results we get as episodes mature and claims data is more complete. But here, six months in, I'd say that we have both anecdotal uh, success we're observing and some very early data success. Uh, We attribute a lot of that success to the fact that many of those roughly 1,200 participants I, I just gave you the stats for have been in predecessor programs or cousin programs to this before. Medicare has found Um, at least for now, it's preferred method for administering bundled payments. So doing this program uh, is very similar to its predecessors, uh, like bundled payments for care improvement, the original program, or the comprehensive care for joint replacement, CJR program. So uh, many of these organizations that are in this have done it before, but those that haven't done it before are likely working with outside parties to uh, make good decisions. The first of these good decisions is picking the right bundle. So as I think about the early results and early success, it's largely because many organizations are picking the right bundle. In 18, during the application process, organizations that successfully applied for this program got three full calendar years of claims data, which meant that they got to look at all of their past history of how they would have performed in each individual bundle. One of the best parts of this program is that organizations get to essentially, we use the term pick your pitch to borrow a Ted Williams baseball term. If you look like you're going to do well in heart failure, then enroll in heart failure. If you look like you've got a lot of headwinds and you don't think that you perform well in joint replacement, then don't do it for strictly financial reasons. Um, So we think that in large part, the early success is derived from having organizations pick the right bundles and be really well prepared with the key strategies going in. Yeah, that makes sense. So then uh, next steps uh, in the program, what are what should providers, especially those considering participation in bundled payments, you know, which which do they know that's that's coming up here in the program? Yeah, great leading question there, Rich, because I mentioned the application process back in 18, which ran from about January through end of September, and the program started October 1st of 18. Medicare has uh, indicated very directly that they're going to open their last open enrollment period for the BIPSI advanced model sometime in April. Now, by the time you may be listening to this audience, it may have already been announced, but as of the time of recording this, it hasn't been discreetly announced. All we know is that A, this is going to be the last enrollment opportunity 
and that organizations that do choose to successfully apply would start if they chose to start and bear risk in this model would start on January 1st of 20. Uh, I guess the last thing I'd add here is use a phrase, act now, decide later. As in, if an organization chose to apply and get their foot in the door and look at data and give themselves options for the future, but they decide not to fully bear risk and they decide to withdraw from the program before ever enrolling, that happens all the time. So I, I suppose the, the action is be on the lookout for a Medicare announcement. Uh, if it hasn't already been announced, if it has been by the time you're listening to this, read it and consider really strongly consider taking action. Those that don't choose to participate now will not have an opportunity to even test these waters until likely three to four years from now. Right. And uh, just getting a hold of that data could be useful too, even if they don't participate. It is. Uh, we find a lot of organizations, it's a big eye opener. We in the healthcare management business are constantly trying to anticipate patients' needs, right? What specialists do they need? Where do they need access points? Um, how can we improve services to improve the patient experience? In spite of all of that, the healthcare delivery system in the United States is very fragmented and siloed. So this gives a whole longitudinal, complete look at where patients are going for their care following discrete hospitalizations, what providers they're seeing, where those providers are providing the service, how much those services cost. It's a, it's a real rich treasure trove of information. And going back several years, I'm not sure Medicare didn't publish these statistics, but a majority of applicants in predecessor programs applied, but never ended up enrolling in risk. They'd be doing essentially what you just described, Rich, which is looking at the data, drawing some conclusions, choosing not to participate, but uh, you can't erase what's uh, in your memory, right? To, to get uh, the, the great knowledge and information that's made available through this program and is otherwise elusive. Well, that's, uh, that insight uh, helps a lot, Michael. So thank you very much for taking the time. And yeah, hopefully we can stay in touch as, uh, as, this, uh, as this model moves forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your time, Rich. Wouldn't it be great to provide your staff with unlimited access to HFMA's Library of Online Education? How about HFMA's accredited certification programs, market-leading white papers, in-depth research reports, and more? Introducing Enterprise Solutions, a group membership program designed to provide your organization's employees with cost-effective tools and resources that increase staff engagement and optimize organizational results. Get your organization engaged with Enterprise. For more information and to watch an introductory video, visit hfma.org forward slash enterprise. Healthcare is one of the most dynamic industries, and as it continues to shift, organizations are turning to new methodologies, mindsets, and tools to help them drive more strategic, advanced financial decisions and to improve care. In today's Fast Five, sponsored by Strata Decision Technology, we've got five reasons why health systems will need advanced cost accounting in order to improve and stay on top of the changes. Reduce care and cost variation. 
Only by understanding the true variation in care and cost can organizations make significant improvements to their margin. Advanced cost accounting enables health systems to look at actual supply and drug acquisition cost, labor expense, procedure time, pre- and post-care, at the patient level, by physician, and by care setting. Applying discounts such as 340B and manufacturer discounts can swing your cost and tactics significantly. Make better investment decisions. Advanced cost accounting enables health systems to understand the financial impact of investment decisions. Whether it is deciding to buy another surgical robot or determining if more nurse navigators will reduce readmissions, having activity-based costing changes the game. Improve quality by understanding the cost of harm. Applying cost data to clinical data helps health systems understand the financial impact of hospital-acquired conditions. As organizations look to take on more risk, it is increasingly important to reduce the preventable cost that stems from in-hospital harm. Reduce the cost of care across the continuum. As health systems are entering into value-based care agreements, they need to manage the cost of episodes, not visits, and populations, not just patients. Bringing claims data from entities outside of the health system into the cost accounting system provides visibility into both the total cost of care and the opportunities to grow services and keep patients inside the health system. Increase top-line revenue and your margin. Advanced cost accounting is necessary to strengthening your negotiation position with payers, to pricing strategically, and to entering into or even creating your own care bundles that you know will have a strong margin. This Fast Five is sponsored by Strata Decision Technology. With over 20 years' experience in healthcare, Strata Decision Technology helps healthcare organizations with financial planning, decision support, and continuous cost improvement by providing our best-in-class, industry-leading, cloud-based SaaS financial planning, analytics, and performance platform. Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Special thanks this week to our Fast Five sponsor, Strata Decision Technology. Beyond the News is produced by Rich Daly and Chad Mulvaney. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler and Michael Shorbot. HFMA's president and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. We want our podcast to deliver the content you're looking for, so please let us know how we're doing. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Podbean or wherever you listen, and email us at podcast at hfma.org. <laughs>